us are called to understand the power and live by the power of Jesus Christ. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Him, And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV as we go in the Bible to learn from 1 Peter a few things. This is fascinating. So get ready for that. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's going on? Well, because we are talking about Peter today, you and I are going to be talking about fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Ryan? Well, today my study is based on 2 Peter 3, in which the apostle predicts that in the last days, scoffers will come and deny, among other things, the global flood of Noah's day. In fact, that's right. They believe in the global flood in on Mars, but not on Earth. Very interesting. Janice? It's our fun Friday wrap-up, which if you're a new viewer, that means I can ask a question from any of our reading this past week, which includes Hebrews all the way up to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. First Peter 1 to 3, that's what we read today as we come closer to the book of Revelation at the end. It's going to be very, very interesting. This is December, man. And uh, we're going to finish the Bible and then we're going to start over again. I was thinking about this, you know, speaking many words about a subject does not mean that we have great knowledge of the subject. We often value sounding smart over being smart. It may feel like Perception is everything, but there are a few key issues where we can't afford just to sound smart. And salvation is one of them. A popular definition of salvation is the act of saving 
or protecting from harm, from risk, from loss, from destruction, etc. Now, the ultimate example of how Jesus Christ overcame sin and death so that we could be reconciled to God, not receiving the judgment for our sin, but rather being given eternal life. Well, in John 3.10, the Greek word used for salvation means deliverance from molestation of the enemies. Satan is the enemy, and he's bent on destroying God's creation, and I'm sure he's thrilled that we've allowed sin to fester in our lives. But we are saved from this when we come to Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, and ask his forgiveness and commit our lives to following him as Lord. 1 Peter 1 is very clear on this and our position towards God. And I want to say that that's really important because Peter wrote many passages to the scripture. And there's a lot in his passages and we need to pay attention to them. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. It's very, very interesting. And as we look at it, I would say to you, go to Bible Discovery TV. And uh, you can actually get uh, a copy of the Bible Guide by clicking on the paper or the, the uh, screen where the paper is, and it'll take you to a place where you can actually download it. Right now, we need to pray for Peter and pray that we hear him because this is important. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would hear from the word of Peter. As we study this, Lord, we need to listen to what you've said. Thank you, Father. And help us today in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, Amen. Now, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 2 is very important. Listen carefully to what God has said to us. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood, look at this, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Then he says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. I want to tell you, this is really something. That's how Peter starts. And we learn that as Christians, we are called to the power of Jesus Christ. The Lord not only saved us, but makes us his sons and his daughters. Did you hear what Peter said? That, that's what he said. Beloved, we need to know that it's not that we're arrogant. We're not arrogant at all. That's not what God's telling us to do. But when we know the Lord, we have a connection with God. We've made that connection. We should tell others about it and tell them about how to find Jesus Christ. Very important. There was a man who said to me, or another, there was a man who was uh, part of a club, and, and the man said, uh, you know, I don't know about this one guy. Well, the one guy went into palliative care, and he said, don't tell me about Jesus Christ because that man has told me so much about him, I already know about him. Well, you see, the man there knew what he was doing. You got to spread Jesus Christ. You got to tell him just because you're in a club or at some place with your friends doesn't mean you're, you're exempt from it. You're never exempt from it. Jesus Christ is your Lord. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope 
a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Doesn't fade. Our emotions might fade, but it doesn't. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now this is something. Our living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for eternal life. We live now through Christ to grow in our lives forever. Look at for eternity. Now, there's a group of people who were studied and 64% of the ministers in that particular denomination did not believe in a resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I said, what? what? Why are they even ministers if they didn't believe that? Every Sunday I go to church and every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate, beloved. We have to understand that when we do that, Things come our way and challenge us, but joy is a state of mind. The joy of the Lord is a state of our mind. We always praise God because in this suffering now, there's going to come a time when we will suffer no more and we will live in a new way. I believe that with all my heart and I trust that you will too if you come to Christ. Keep that in mind. Now, let's go on. 1 Peter 1, 6-9. Watch this. In this you greatly rejoice, Peter says, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Oh, yeah. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Oh, I want to tell you, that is absolutely wonderful. You see, we believe through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. There is nothing that can destroy us spiritually if we are saved. Let me ask you a question. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is Lord? And you may say, I don't know. I've never said that. I never can't remember a time. Well, let me tell you something. Today is your day. The Holy Spirit's calling on you right now. It's time for you to come to the Lord. So come to the Lord and pray this prayer. Jesus. I realize you died on the cross and you rose again and you've paid the cost of sin. Forgive me of my sin and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, and we said together, amen and amen. Beloved, if you prayed that prayer and you mean it, God is going to turn your life. I'll tell you something, your life's going to change right now. Not because of me or this program, but because of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit who's with you right now. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for being faithful and giving all of your promises to us.
Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today we read 1 Peter chapters 1 through 3, but I'm actually going to be jumping ahead to 2 Peter chapter 3. And he predicts, beginning in verse 3, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of the Lord's coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So, according to Peter, in the last days there will be people who deny that Jesus is coming back, people who deny that God created everything, and people who say that there was no Noah's flood, or at least not the global one that Genesis speaks of. And this is precisely what we see today, even sadly among a growing number of professing, professing Christians. And so today, I want to bring our attention to the flood event as recorded in Genesis. And it's important to understand that just because people deny that the flood happened doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Actually, there are so many flood stories found all over the world which speak of this very event that it should be undeniable. Now, one of the most famous of these flood stories is the Epic of Gilgamesh. But of course, with skepticism being at the level it is in our modern world, it has been suggested that the Bible is actually just a retelling of the Gilgamesh epic, which is itself based on a local flood event. But the big question is, which came first, the Bible or the Epic of Gilgamesh? Well, let's try to find out. Though once largely accepted as factual history, the Genesis Flood is now one of the most attacked and ridiculed portions of the entire Bible. Perhaps this was partially due to the discovery of the now famous Epic of Gilgamesh. These 12 tablets were found in 1853 by archaeologist Austin Henry Layard in the palace library of the ancient Assyrian capital Nineveh, and were dated from about 650 BC, although the poem was much older. Since this discovery, critics claim that the biblical flood is just a borrowing of this epic, which in turn was an embellishment of a local flood. However, when the two accounts are compared, the Bible by far contains the most realistic portrayal, suggesting it is the original rather than a retelling. While multiple examples could be given, probably the most significant is the shape of the Ark in both accounts. For instance, Korean naval architects have confirmed that a barge with the biblical Ark's dimensions would have optimal stability. On the other hand, the cube-shaped craft of the Gilgamesh epic would be utterly disastrous. Actually, even the order in the releasing of the birds makes more sense in the Genesis account. For example, in reverse to the Gilgamesh epic, Noah first releases a raven, followed sequentially by doves. Releasing the raven first makes a lot of sense, because as a scavenger it was more than capable of dwelling on the tops of the recently exposed mountains. Its non-return indicated to Noah that some of the land had been exposed. He then later sent out the doves, which prefer valleys to mountains, and likes dry and clean places for nesting. Hence the doves' non-return signaled that the earth was sufficiently dry. Based upon realism, it is more likely that the biblical flood is the original account and that it is the Gilgamesh epic which is the retelling. But is there any additional evidence that the global flood of the Bible is the original account? 
Assuming for a moment that the Bible is correct about its history and a global flood did occur with a worldwide dispersion of the people from Babel shortly thereafter, then we would expect to find people groups with a common tradition based on the real event in Scripture. In fact, this is exactly what we find, with thousands of flood stories all over the world, from Peru to China to Russia, Hawaii and beyond. Significantly, these legends share common elements with the Bible, some very much so. Not only do these similarities point to a common source, but the very existence of these numerous flood legends themselves point to a real-world event. Indeed, it is common to make legends out of historical events, but not history from legends. And one of the reasons why the details in legends differ somewhat from the scriptural account is simply because generally traditions become more garbled as they move further in time and place from the real event. Thank God that the true account has been preserved in the Bible. You know, really, when you spend some time studying other flood stories, it becomes really clear that the Bible gives the most full and realistic account. And what you just saw was only just a small sample size of the evidence that the biblical account is the original. And the many, re and the many retellings of the flood event found all over the world provide an incredible witness and corroboration that what the Bible says happened did happen. We mustn't allow ourselves to be led astray by unbelievers. He or she is merely bluffing on this issue and willfully ignoring the evidence and doing exactly what the Apostle Peter said that they would in the last days as they continue to scoff at this very real biblical event. And they're doing it also with the creation event and the return of Jesus Christ to this planet. They don't want to believe that the Lord is coming to judge this world but his coming is as sure as the air that you're breathing right now. So do yourself a favor and come to him today before that happens and you will be saved. If you want to do it right now, then just come before him and pray something like this and mean it in your heart. See, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died and rose from the dead to save me from my sins. I want to be with you in heaven forever. Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins that I've committed against you. I, here and now, open my heart to you and ask you to come into my heart and life to be my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Very good. Corey? Well, thanks to uh, the New Testament book of Acts and here in First and Second Peter, we get to see that Jesus' words to his disciples recorded in the Gospels really did turn out to be true, that they became fishers of men. But before Peter was a fisher of men, he was a fisher of fish, and he did all of that fishing on the Sea of Galilee. So that's what you and I are going to be digging into right now. A central location in the New Testament Gospels is the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus' ministry was begun in the Galilee region, and because several of his disciples were fishermen of Galilee, Jesus famously interacted with the lake. Here, he helped the disciples catch miraculous amounts of fish, even a specific fish. He calmed a storm, walked on water, taught from boats, and traveled on the lake to new regions. The Bible records some interesting details about fishing nets and fishermen, even using these as examples of the kingdom of God. 
In the ancient world, three types of fishing nets were used on the Sea of Galilee. The oldest and perhaps most important was the drag net. This net created a long wall parallel to the shore that would be pulled into the shore by ropes attached to its sides. Drag nets were up to a thousand feet long and 25 feet tall at their middle point. Lead sinkers would be attached to the bottom rope and cork floats to the top rope of the net, creating a wall to capture fish. These large nets would be arranged on a boat on a special platform and then spread into the sea as the boat sailed about 100 yards from shore. A team of up to 16 men, eight on each side, would man the ropes and pull them in while they walked farther inland and toward each other. Dragging in the net would capture any fish between the net and the shore, potentially bringing in hundreds of pounds of fish. The fish would be sorted on shore because only three kinds of fish in the Galilee were considered fit to eat and commercially important. The net would be reordered and the fishing team would begin again in a different spot. This could be repeated several times a day. Jesus seems to have had the dragnet in mind when he said, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. The cast net was able to be used by a single fisherman either standing in shallow water or from a boat. It was circular and about 25 feet in diameter. The fisherman would throw it on the water and weights attached to its perimeter would sink it quickly to the bottom of the lake, trapping any fish underneath it. The fisherman would dive down and gather the edges of the net and drag it to shore or swim it back to his boat. A trammel net is composed of three layers. The outer have a larger weave net, while the inner is tightly weaved. Several trammel nets are joined together to create up to a 500-foot-long trap. The net is spread in the water in a curve or various shapes designed by the fishermen. The boat then sails between the shore and the net, and the fishermen splash, stomp, hit the water and the boat with their oars to scare the fish away and into their trammel net. The fish become tangled, and they're taken out one by one as the net is pulled up. Or if there's a really great catch, the net may be taken to the shore to be detangled and reset. Fishing like this was generally done at night because the nets were made of linen, which would be too visible to the fish during the day. I always find looking into some of these practical cultural elements, these physical day-to-day -day elements of life in the first century to be so interesting and instructive because it gives us a tangible, uh, you know, physical idea of what the lives of the apostles were like originally. So it gives us this background of understanding then for their life with Jesus and how they may have understood evangelism and, and, and how they would have interacted with Jesus. Even, you know, just the simple uh, ability to be able to know where Jesus would have met with the disciples after his resurrection based off of the time of year and where they were fishing, where, where you can only fish in the Sea of Galilee during that time of year. So these, these very practical elements just give us a little bit more insight into the practical elements of the gospel. And when I was there, uh, I've been there a couple of, several times. And when I was there, uh, they found, they had found the boat, mm -hmm. uh, and the old boat. Yes. And uh, it, it was just a frame and it was just really, anyway, they were treating it. And I went back again and it was finished. It was awesome to look at it. Then I went back again and they built the thing. 
Yeah, yeah, it. Well, yeah, it, and it's pretty remarkable. I mean, it was the the Jesus boat, as it's commonly called. You know, if you Google Jesus boat, you'll be able to see it. I've done a segment on that as well. Um, but it it was pretty much the full frame of a boat, pretty much a full boat. But it had been um, scavenged for parts. So much like today, we would take a, a, uh, people who like building cars would take a junker car and take good parts out of that to rebuild and repair other cars. This boat was kind of a junker boat and and parts of it were used uh, to repair other ships. And then it was just left to kind of sink in place and was preserved by the mud. But it does date to the first century, so. Yeah, it really is fascinating and interesting. And thank you, Corey, for mm -hmm. that. That is really good. Uh, let me ask a question. What are you doing this weekend? Right, this week, same thing I do every weekend. <laughs> I post a video on Saturday mornings on YouTube, my YouTube channel, just my name, Corey Babechko. Uh, I post a chapter by chapter recap video of our entire assigned reading for the week. So it's half an hour or less, and it gets you caught back up on your reading so that you can continue reading through the Bible with us. We're so close to finishing <laughs> the year. So if you've fallen behind, watch a few, the videos that uh, you know cover the chapters that you've missed, and you'll get caught back up. Yeah, very good. We just finished reading Hebrews, and now we're reading Peter, John, mm -hmm. and, and this is going to be really good. You get the Jude, then now we get into Revelation, and that's going to be fascinating for the last couple of days. Janice, yes. we have a question today. We certainly do. What is that Indeed, question? I can ask it anywhere from Hebrews chapter 1 all the way through to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I know there's a lot of you at home that are just holding your breath because you like to play along. All right, here it is. In the first letter, or epistle of Peter, he addresses his letter to the Christians of the dispersion, mentioning five provinces in Asia Minor. He mentions Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and what other one are we missing? Jerusalem, Philadelphia, or Bithynia? Which one? Are we missing Jerusalem, okay. Philadelphia, I'm pretty or sure. Bithynia? Okay. Now I'm not participating in this, and I didn't tell them not to, or didn't tell them to close their Bibles. But I want to know which one do you think it is, and this is important for you. Which one do you think? Yeah, it is? I'm going to let Corey answer this one. We've talked so about it. Okay? We, we've talked about it. Yeah. We, uh, I yeah, think uh, it's uh, number three. Yeah. I uh, think I'm not 100 percent sure, but. That's my gut feeling. I like feeling. how Ryan says, I'm going to let Corey answer. That's good. <laughs> that's wise. Yeah, that's very wise. It's, it's, it's wise <laughs> all the way around. All right. So if that's number three is the answer that you chose, you are absolutely right. Congratulations. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. There you go. That's the right answer. Bithynia. Excellent. Excellent. Third choice. And you remember, go. you can watch the program anytime you want to at BibleDiscoveryTV.com or on Roku. Uh, that's a box or on the uh, Strip TV or the Stream TV. Uh, either one, you can watch it. Uh, so make sure you do that. We'll see you again.